0: Hi and welcome to the Sailorville Church podcast. My name is Abe Miller, and I'm here with Pat Nimmers for another round of the Church at War in Ephesians chapter six. How are we doing today? Doing great. This is becoming a regular
1: thing. You and me <laughs> appreciate the way you roll with these things, anyway. So it should be fun today too. We've got yeah.
0: some. We got some clarifications to make, here, yeah. Don't we? Yeah. Is this the? Is this number four in this series? Ooh. The fourth message within the Church I think at it's War? it's the third. Third? Yeah, I think it's the third. Because you had, um what were the, we've gone through the, well, last week was the Belt of Truth. Yep, and then, well, two weeks ago was the Belt of Truth, and last week was the Breastplate
1: of Righteousness. Yep. So, and we had a little intro series as well at the very beginning. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right. but against, you know, the whole Church at War intro part, so... Yeah. We go from here. We go we take on the preparation of the gospel piece uh this
0: next week which I'm super excited about. But that's not the subject of this podcast. So we did we did have yeah, we did have some clarification, a couple of questions. So let's let's dive into those first to give some clarity and then we'll get into more maybe some of the practical some more questions. I've got a couple of questions too that I can ask. But you made a comment uh in the middle of the message about eternal security and you were pretty you were pretty fired up and excited about it and kind of pushed that you didn't really you didn't really appreciate that that word or that term give us some context of that in the message and then what was what were you trying to get through cuz then you were talking about the perseverance of the saints so just give us some clarity there
1: yeah i went off script a little bit <laughs> and i did it in all three services and probably went a little bit too far and may have even caused some uh uh, concern. I mean, we haven't heard a lot of that. No, I think most people no. understood the context of it once I explained myself, but let's just, technically speaking, there is uh, there is a theological expression that's been around, especially in our circles for a full generation and maybe some. Uh, some people call it the security of the believer. Others call it eternal security. Either way, it's the doctrine, the true biblical doctrine that a person who has truly come Uh, into a relationship with Jesus is eternally secure. And of course, I'm as strong of an advocate of that biblical truth is anyone i know in fact i wrote a short paper on that years ago uh, really with a lot of rhetorical questions like what you know jesus said in john 316 uh those who believe have everlasting life and i was at, i would ask the question how long is everlasting i mean jesus said in john chapter 10 you they will never perish in fact he uses a greek a greek double negative o me they will never ever perish right. and and then again i asked the question how long is, uh, never. And I, I worked through, I think seven key biblical passages, and there are more of them in that paper I wrote on, uh, the security of the believer or eternal security. So it's not as if I don't have an issue. I don't have any issue with that doctrine. In fact, I am diametrically opposed to Arminian theology that believes you can lose your salvation. Certainly I'm the farthest thing and always have been from that. I don't like the term, however, eternal security as much... and I'm okay with people using it. One of our elders said that they do use it when they mm-hmm. counsel and disciple people. And I, I'm okay with that. I, as long as it's explained away from what is often understood as what I call easy believism. I prayed the prayer. And, uh, uh, so, you know, we a lot of times people say, well, I, I prayed the prayer, so I'm, I, I'm saved. i you know, i I'm eternally secure, you know? Well, as I said, in the message: you don't just get saved by praying a prayer. You're saved by repentance and faith in the shed blood and resurrection of Jesus, as the Bible makes very, very clear. And so, I am in favor, not so much of the expression "security of the believer," or eternal security, as much as I love the old the reformers' position, which they called it the perseverance of the saints. You know, the 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 whole the tulip, you know the you know, total depravity, unconditional election, uh, limited atonement, which I have some, I have some nuance issues with that. Uh, 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 and then irresistible grace, and finally, perseverance of the saints, the letter P. I love that. It's one of my favorite ones because it really describes in a line what is what goes on. When you, when you place your faith in Jesus, you, if it's real, you will persevere. You're not going to give up the faith. You're not going to abandon the faith. Uh, you may go through all kinds of, you know, hell on earth, so to speak, you right. know, but you're not going to give up the faith. And if you do, it's probably uh, it's more than likely evidence that you weren't really, uh, truly saved. And perseverance of the saints also tells the, the reader, the Christian, the follower of Jesus, that the biblical truth that we must through many trials, tribulations enter into the kingdom of God. So those trials take on all kinds of things, physical trials, relational trials, uh, financial trials, all kinds of possibly persecution from outside. We don't suffer so much that in our country, but we could. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those trials are to come and they're to be expected, but we will persevere if we know Jesus. So that's what I was referring to with that statement. And I I wanna say one more thing about this, Abe, before I jump off the soapbox here. I will will acknowledge that uh, I'm human, I know it's a shocker to everybody listening here, you know, but I mean, I am human and I do, I have been known to, uh, go off script when I'm just really, you know, enlivened over something. And I even wrote a chapter in my book called pulpits <laughs> and some of your, some of you listeners will remember. And this really wasn't one of them, but I, uh, but it, uh, it was based off an experience I'd had just the day before I had a, a really dear, um, brother who is going through a very difficult time, very, very difficult time in his life. His wife is, is, uh, has been wrestling with cancer for quite some time. And I felt really bad about for him. And I was trying to minister to him. And he said, well, he, I said, I asked if his wife was spending time with God and reading, reading uh, God's word. She really hadn't been, which was very troublesome to me. Here's a woman under great, Physical duress, and she's not reading God's word. And I asked why he didn't really know why, but he was confident. I said, "Are you confident she's saved?" Oh yeah, she prayed the prayer. That's that, that mm. was his answer. Wow. Very troublesome to my spirit, very troublesome to my heart. And I, you know, I I addressed it lovingly in the moment, but that was on my mind as yeah. I was preparing to preach this message. I'm. Terrified over people who will say, "I'm saved. I know I prayed the prayer, but they're not any more saved than, than the man on the moon," as the old expression has it.
0: Yeah, and that makes sense why you're passionate about it and yeah. why you made it made a big deal about it because you you know we do deal with that quite often. We do where that that is the the phrase or the thing that people are they're holding on to that yeah the prayer and then they do whatever they want and live whatever life they want but they think well yeah but I'm still good. So
1: and as a communicator of God's word, I mean. You know uh you know what what's Hebrews 1317 say it says obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves as those who watch for your souls and, and ones who must give an account I have to give an account for the things I say the way I live the way I preach the way I communicate I can't afford to 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 even imagine you know standing before God I'm going to stand before God in the virtues of Jesus Christ but just the same I have to give an account And if, and as I do, I don't want to be one who has, uh, is guilty of preaching a false gospel or giving somebody some false sense of security because they prayed
0: a prayer. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. That's good clarification. The other, the other kind of maybe clarification question was coming about the, talking about the inspiration. I think this was towards the end of the message, um, Paul's. Paul's oh. words and being led by the spirit. There was a couple of questions around that. Give us, give us kind of the context of uh, that section. And it was, I think it was right at the end, wasn't it? It was right at the end. It was, uh, uh, yes, because I was really
1: geeked up about the whole Isaiah 59. Cause yeah, I was seeing, yeah. I'd read that many times, but in my study of the whole armor of God in Ephesians six, I was thinking about this and to answer the question, you know, uh, we believe that the Bible is inspired by God, Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God, breathed out theopneustos uh, by God, uh, uh, It's useful or profitable for doctrine and reproof and correction and instruction and righteousness, etc. But what does that mean? How is the Bible inspired? Well, we, you know, some people think, well, God just told those 40 different writers what to say. Well, that's not true. There's only a few places in scripture where that actually happens, like the, the 10 commandments where God actually, he himself wrote those 10 commandments, you know, uh, but in most cases, um, well, second Peter tells us, holy men of God spoke as they were carried along by the Holy spirit. So what you have is you have the writers of this, of scripture take, in this case, the apostle Paul, one of 40 writers, give or take that, uh, pen the scripture. And, uh, uh, how did they do that? How did they? How did they? Uh, what did they write? How, did the Spirit of God just put words in their mind? Uh, if it's our understanding, we put all this, these biblical truths together. We we believe, and theologians would agree, that uh, by by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He was guiding them, but He used their personalities. I like to tell new Christians that when they were looking at way I use the gospels, for instance, uh, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. Well, if you just compare Luke to John, I mean, Luke's vocabulary is really big compared to John's vocabulary. Well, John was a fisherman. He was country bumpkin kind of a guy. He doesn't have a big vocabulary. Luke was a doctor, so he has a bigger vocabulary, uses medical terminology. Well, you know, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John's vocabulary didn't become Luke's, and Luke's vocabulary didn't become John. They were what they were. And uh, God didn't increase John's vocabulary, just used what He knew. And uh, and in the case of the Apostle Paul, he would have been very intellectual. He had a great knowledge of Scripture. He was a Pharisee, right? And as a result, he knew the Old Testament, memorized reams and reams of the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. So as the Apostle Paul was sitting there and writing on the full armor of God, what was it that caused him to write about, you know, take on the you know, put on the belt of truth and the uh, breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, you know, the shield of faith and uh, and um, sword of the spirits and helmet of salvation, etc. Where Where would that come from? Well, we the most natural understanding is that he, he was chained to a Roman soldier and he looked at them, he saw that Roman soldier as the metaphor. And I've been saying that myself in this message, and I believe it. But that wasn't the only thing he was doing, as I pointed out in the message. The apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, not only saw that Roman soldier as a metaphor, but he knew in his mind that that is exactly what Isaiah 59 says the coming Messiah was going to do to save his people. He was going to put on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. You know, he is, he was the epitome of righteousness, and He is our salvation. I just thought that was awesome. So, I guess what uh, the whole point under inspiration is that we realize the Bible is the inspired word of God. When it dried on the paper, that was the inspired word of God. The way it came was by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit used both the uh, both the broadness and the narrowness of whatever understanding of God. Uh, the writers of Scripture had from the Word of God itself, so it's very it's it's a very interesting thing. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, every listener knows needs to know you can trust your Bible. You yeah. can trust your Bible, and uh, be it a country bumpkin like John or fisherman like John who wrote it, or a
0: theologian like the Apostle Paul. So yeah, love your Bible. It's yep. the Word of God. That's good. It's good. It's a good challenge. So this this message was on the. <clears throat> The breastplate of righteousness, and you you made two two points essentially. Um, righteousness is put in at salvation or imputed, was what you you made that that mm-hmm. comment. But then you also talked about put on in sanctification, put on the breastplate of righteousness, which was more like the applied, right the the daily. And you talked mm-hmm. about you know getting dressed and um, but a couple a couple. You got a couple of feed, things from feedback, and and this would be one of my questions too, you know. But how how do we? What does that look like practically, right? How do we actually put on the breastplate of righteousness every day? And and you talked about it as like you were getting dressed, and it's a prayer thing. But how if we have it in us, right, as believers? Yeah. Why do we have to put it on? And what happens if we don't put it on? So maybe ask, answer a little bit of that. Let's have a conversation on that. Yeah, that is a great question. I had somebody
1: actually ask that question personally themselves. And so, of course, when somebody asked that question like you did, and the other, it, it it my heart kind of sinks a little bit because I feel like I didn't communicate it very clearly. And to those of you listening to the message who thought, yeah, I had that same question. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I, I apologize. I certainly uh, didn't want this to be a fail, but it is a great question. And so uh, you have the the truth. If you are let's, we're talking to a follower of Jesus. You already have the right. imputed righteousness of God in you, so you have it there. And I tried to illustrate. So you you mentioned prayer. So that is the thing I'm saying through this entire message. In fact, the last item in the list of uh, of these armaments is is actually not a, is actually not on a soldier. It's prayer. So Paul's going to conclude. He's going to conclude, I'm going to go there real quick, I hadn't thought about I should have teed this up, I'll do it really quick. Uh, he finishes this whole talk, he says, uh, you know, take up the shield of faith, take up the helmet of salvation, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, verse 17, and then he says, praying at all times, verse 18, in the Spirit, with all his prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, yeah. making supplication for all the saints, and then he asked for prayer for himself. So I think this sort of, and I'll get to this when we get to that prayer part, is just this is how each item is to be put on, by prayer. Because what's true on the inside should be taking place on the outside as well. And the, um, the breastplate of righteousness, it, as we said, the message is, is a form of protection, a protection of the heart. And as I said to the individual who came to me, we are told in Scripture, the writer of Proverbs was it four uh, twenty three, says, um, uh, uh, "Guard your heart with all diligence; out of it come the issues of life." So we, there is that sense in which we are called to personally be to guard our hearts. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, uh, I can't think of that, Gary. I can't think of his last name. That. Uh, the uh, guy that uh, had the marriage ministry in this area. Oh, yeah. Um, And our our own Lisa used to work, Lisa Johnson used to work for him. And uh, just slipping my mind here.
0: America's family coaches. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Rosberg. Okay, okay, Gary Rosberg. Hey, Gary, if you're listening, that's a (laughs) little T up there, buddy. Uh, you You don't ever run into Gary Rosberg and have even the briefest or lengthiest conversation without, it's kind of his MO. When he walks away from you, he always says, guard your heart. Mm. That's what he always say. He'll say, guard your heart, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Every time I talk to him, it isn't very often, he'll say, hey, Pat, guard your heart. I think that's really cool. Uh, and it's it's also a responsibility that we're given. And that is the call and you know putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Guard your heart. That's going to happen by way. It, you do that by prayer. And I would say awareness, going out into the world, recognizing that your heart is, is capable of being deceived. Our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately wicked. They can be deceived and they often are deceived. So I think there's prayer and there's that constant awareness that we ought to have. I mean, you've heard me say, Abe, that I think it was Spurgeon who said he doesn't go 10 minutes in a waking day Mm -hmm. without an awareness of God. That's powerful. That's powerful to me because it reminds me to guard my heart. And it was also Spurgeon who said, and I quote, to go out into the world without locking up the heart and giving it to God is to leave it open to all sorts of spiritual vagrants. What a powerful statement that is. So uh, to me, it's it's the way you do it, to answer the question, is by prayer, like getting dressed in the morning, that's a practical way of doing it, by praying, God, God guard the heart that is yours. I have your righteousness within me. Help me to guard it. And help me to stay aware, stay aware of you, as I walk in this world and uh, facing men and all the things that could corrupt
0: my heart in the process. That's good. Does does um, if we have if we have the righteousness of God in us, then you know there's nothing we can do. I mean, that's been given to us because of what Christ has done, right? right? That's how why we have it. But this is, I mean, this is this is real. You just said it. Like, I have to pray that. I have to be aware of that. I have to get dressed in the morning being aware of that. Right. Right. Um, what, what if I don't, I mean, I have Christ in me, but I'm not praying that in the morning. I'm not aware of that in the morning. What shouldn't that be good enough? I mean, God's in me, his spirit's in me. Shouldn't that be enough protection alone? Uh, well, I'd say yes, except the Bible tells us the
1: Otherwise, in other words, if I don't, I am opening it up, as Spurgeon put it, to all kinds of spiritual vagrants. I mean, bad thinking. Uh, To be candid, one of my greatest concerns for the church in general, and we have a large church here, is those who assume that very thing. And they don't protect their hearts. They don't protect their heads. They don't protect their... Uh, There's the spiritual on a regular basis well, because, well, you know, I'm saved. You know, I have Jesus in me and I have that righteousness, you know, but we do have to live in the world, but not of the world. If, if, if we aren't, if, if it wasn't possible for us to become of the world, there wouldn't be the warning put out there for us, you know? And so there is that warning. And if we don't take that warning seriously, what happens is we start to buy into The culture, the culture's thinking on all kinds of things. If you remember early on in the message, I put that, I'll read it to you again in Isaiah 59, 14 passage where it says, Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away, for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. It's like somebody wrote that for today, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Truth has stumbled in the public squares. And I think that's because we don't take our stand in the public st- uh, squares. We just give in to the cultural mindset of thinking. And it's why so many people are giving in to ungodly and unbiblical positions. It's because they haven't guarded their hearts before they left the home. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a good it's a good challenge just that daily daily time in the word right I mean I know that's a big thing for you too just it's the biggest thing for me I can't think get, of anything yeah. more important before you leave yep. spending time with the lord and um I kind of want to keep digging into this cuz I think there's a lot of people out there asking these questions and I'm kind of trying to think like the listener but if if I am truly a believer and I'm not guarding my heart, and I'm walking out thinking I have it figured out, and and I'm I'm being attacked, whether it's my own sin nature or Satan or you know the, a demon or whatever uh, is coming after me, like you talk about in Job. You know, if God says, "Hey, um, mm-hmm. go after him," um, and they're not guarding their heart. I mean, is, is is the believer? Are they? And I I'm kind of talking about myself here too, but like you're essentially saying. I I I know who I am in Christ. I am a believer. I believe in it. But today, I want to I'm choosing to do my own thing. I'm not guarding my heart, right? So like is the spirit of God is the spirit of God speaking to us in that moment, right? And saying, "Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? You you know this. I I I my spirit is in you." But I'm I'm rejecting that at that point. And some on some level, right? Or the listener is rejecting that on some level to say, "Yeah, but I'm choosing I'm choosing to follow my own selfish desire, my own lust, my own pride or whatever. I mean what what are we doing in those moments when that when that attack comes or that thinking comes? I mean I mean you're
1: asking the right question. I mean that's the question everybody has to ask themselves because here's the great concern I have. You're right. If you're a child of God, you're going to be alerted by the spirit of God. That's God doing his due diligence with you and out of his great love for you to warn you. And so what do you do at that moment? Do you walk away? Do you, st- do you think do you- do you do you reject the bad thinking that has come your way, the bad thought, the bad belief? Or do you start giving into it? I mean, uh, my thought, as you were asking the question, went immediately to First Timothy 4, where Paul predicts, now the Spirit speaks expressively that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed, that means you're giving into, seducing or deceitful spirits and doctrines or teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And something that is seared is cauterized. You don't feel it. I mean, you you just you lose it's like it's like a callus on your hand. You you know I remember when I was a little I remember I, I I remember I could take like a pin when I was yeah, working at I John. did that too. I could stick the pin right there. It doesn't hurt at all. <laughs> you don't feel anything. That's a ha- that's yeah. the threat
0: you're talking right. about right there. And that doesn't happen overnight. Mm-mm. I mean, that, those are the small choices. Those are the small decisions, the small little where we waver, and ah, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I can get away with it. I can. No, but
1: your your metaphor is perfect. Doesn't happen. Those calluses I right. would get working at John Deere didn't take place in the first day. Yeah, they built up over weeks of time. They were
0: really hard and thick, and and uh, yeah, and they, there's no feeling in them. Which we've talked about, I think, before the, the being sensitive. When you start to lose the sensitivity, when you start to lose um, gratefulness and gratitude, and and those are you start to slip, right? You start to, you're not guarding your heart at that moment, which, yep. yeah, I love that. I love that that Proverbs 4 passage. I think it's a, it's such a good warning. And you're just, and then you really, you're acting, you're acting just like an
1: unbeliever then because that's what the book of Ephesians says, he uh, describes them as past feeling. If you're past feeling, mm. you're not feeling. And so that's the warning. That's why you can't afford to not hear from God. I don't understand how a person can, I mean, it's, I don't want to sound um, condescending. I don't. But it, it's hard for me to grasp how people can go days and days and days and sometimes weeks without reading the scripture listening to God. I mean, I get it. The longer you go, the harder it's going to be because mm-hmm. you're having to rip off that callus, I guess. I'd say rip that stinking thing off and get get your face before the living God. Let him speak to you so that you can have that breastplate of righteousness mm-hmm. practically speaking on to have your heart guarded. And as as, as uh, Gary Rossberg would say, guard your heart.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would say, uh, to me, I, I've been there where I've I've missed a day or whatever. And like, for me, it's pride, right? I Mm. think I can, I think I can handle it. I think I'm okay. I, I know, I know what's coming. I, you know, to me, to me, it's pride, which I think is a lot of people is like, I don't need God. I I feel like I can, I don't need the Bible right now. I don't need to hear from him. Um, yeah, that's, that's not a good place. (laughs) That's not a good place to be.
1: And we know what scripture says about pride. Yeah.
0: Goes before the fall, right? Yeah. All right. Hey, just a couple more questions here. Um, so you talked about kind of towards the end, and this is kind of where we're at right here too. But those who are weak and struggling, um, they are just you know you're not. I don't feel strong. I don't feel um, that I can that I can do it. You know, so I take I take two different people. I look at I look at you who is you know look at take two believers. They you know both saved and yet like somebody like you can walk confidently and scripturally and you would be considered a strong soldier and then you've got this other person that is same god same whatever salvation and yet struggles and is weak and is negative and is not guarding their heart how how does this how does the same spirit that lives in us get two different responses. So you've got one who's like, yes, I'm confident in Christ and what he says, and I hold on to that truth. And then the other person who's just wavering and it's all over the place. How does that happen? And what what do you say to those people that are weak, that are struggling, that are like, I wish I had what you have. I wish I had that strength and that courage and that scriptural knowledge to be able to fight and to be able to articulate that to people? Because I think there's a lot of people out there that think that and are just man, I just feel like I'm I'm losing. I'm not mm. fighting the battle, I'm losing. Like, what would you say to those people?
1: I would say to those who are struggling, uh, first of all, if you're truly born again, you take heart. God knows your struggle. God knows your hurt. And God knows your limitations. He's not calling you to be a great theologian, but to believe what you know to be true and to cling to those things. The Bible should be your cherished book, whether you're like John the fisherman or the Apostle Paul the theologian. Take the truths God has revealed to you and believe them and trust the Lord through your hurt and through your struggle and through your weakness. To build you up. I would also say to find, if that's the case with you, some of your best friends should be those strong, courageous people who can build into you. You, you probably have gifts that they, they need. Maybe you have the gift of encouragement. You love mm-hmm. to encourage people, but you're kind of weak. They're probably somebody who has that courageous heart out there that needs somebody to affirm them. And maybe they can speak truth into you. This is where the one anothers come in. Yep. None of us do it on our own. Okay, we aren't talking about individual. I mean, all of us have to go at it individually. But there's a whole bevy of one anothers in the New Testament, and you can't do a, a one, you can't do one of those one anothers without somebody else in your life. Mm. So get somebody in your life. That be yeah. my that would be my greatest
0: counsel to them. Yeah, which is a great great for just community and community groups and yeah ha- having people in your life that you can be honest with and say I need help uh, yep. pray for me right i mean even that like there's something about that to to humble ourselves to say hey pray for me i'm i'm hurting i'm struggling i feel weak right now and to know that there are people praying for you is is encouraging
1: and be humble remember jesus gave the parable of the of the tax collector and the Pharisee in the temple, you know, and the the Pharisee's just bragging away how how amazing he is before God, and the tax collector can't even look at, sla- you know, you know, beating himself in the chest and asking God for mercy, and Jesus makes it clear the one, the one that was humble was the one that went away justified. That's you if you approach God in a humble way.
0: Yeah, that's good. Can you give us a quick, quick? where are we going uh, this next Sunday? And then we'll wrap it up here. All right. Well, this next Sunday, we're
1: going to be putting on, strapping on those gospel shoes, baby. This is is right in my wheelhouse. So I screw this message up. Just go ahead and fire me right now because this is what I love more than anything is that whole business of strapping on the shoes. We're going to talk about what those shoes were like. And how important they were for battle. Wow, were they important? They had they had cleats, you know. And it wasn't like the soldier could just call a timeout, you know, and uh, and go over and talk to the coach like a football game. This these this was a battle to the death. But we are taking life in a battle to the death to people, and that life is the is the gospel. We're going to talk about. We're going to be talking about our our responsibility. This is this is really the Apostle Paul's. One of his greatest one of the greatest, if not the greatest. I'd say the greatest is probably Romans ten. They'll probably allude to it. But this is maybe the second greatest admonition to all of us to be to to be uh, soul winners for Jesus. So that's that's where we're going this Sunday.
0: Yeah, that's good. We're looking forward to it. Thanks for your insight. Appreciate it. Thank you.